Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Golick. Mike Golick Jr., Mike Golick Sr., Jesse Cofield holding it down for us in the Boston DraftKings headquarters. We are brought to you by Wrangler, made for the ride of life. Save 15% on your first Wrangler.com order with promo code GOJO15. Got a great show coming up for you today. As always, download, subscribe, rate, review. Check us out on DraftKings YouTube channel, DraftKingsNetwork.com, Samsung TV+, Plus, Roku, and a host of other places live 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. Or catch us after the fact on all those same places. We've also got Brian Brzee, rookie defensive tackle star for the New Orleans Saints, former Clemson product here to tell us about an important initiative with the NFL. But man, dad, last night there was a lot of F around and find out going on in the world of Major League Baseball. Good Lord. I mean, incredible. We're looking at uh, we still have one more 100 win team in this thing uh that can be eliminated i mean it, it's it we've already had baltimore swept their 100 win team the dodgers uh swept out by the diamondbacks and now uh atlanta one game away from being knocked out of this by the phillies with a little bit of little a little, little bit of back and forth going on in, in in that series we'll get to but wow i mean these these uh, and all of a sudden the talk comes in about do you change the format a little bit because these top teams are getting knocked off in the playoffs i mean what, what, what are you going to do? Let them play all the games at home. They're losing them at home now as well. So I, I'm not sure. I'd like to hear what some of the thought process is of that. But the Dodgers, I mean, holy smokes, three years in a row playing against teams that have huge double-digit, you know, wins, more wins than during the regular season and getting knocked out. Just another disappointment for them. Uh, the Diamondbacks, what, four home runs in the third inning in that game. The Phillies, six home runs overall. It's been a bombshell, and it's been no none of the favorites outside of Houston uh, getting to where they needed to be. Yeah, water is wet and always finds its level. The Houston Astros now yeah. in their seventh straight ALCS. Their permanent residency continues on that side of baseball. But let's start with a little bit of tea because yeah. this Philadelphia series against the Atlanta Braves it had everything. And last night, coming off some funky base running in the game prior, the end of the game for Bryce Harper and the Phillies, we had all day kind of rumored this idea that Orlando Arcia had gone into the clubhouse and been talking some flack about Bryce Harper and the base running in the way anybody would behind yes. closed doors in a locker room after a game like this. I want to make it abundantly clear. I don't think what Orlando Arcia did was wrong, but timing is everything. And apparently 
this happened when there was somebody from the media still in the locker room. And so this report started to make its way outside of the locker room. And what you got as the end result was the picture that will be framed in the basement of Philly sports fans everywhere. If this series goes along the way it was, and this season goes along the way Phillies fans hope that it might with another world series with a world series win here, you're going to have that picture of Bryce Harper staring down Orlando Arcia framed in every household in Philadelphia. Here were the two parties in both of this talking about and responding to exactly what went down here. Bryce Harper on one of his two home runs staring down Orlando Arcia as he rounded second base after the bleep talking transpired. No, just because, I mean, uh, you know, when you win the clubhouse, I just under the impression that you could say whatever you wanted. I guess it's just something that was that was reported, you know. I mean, anytime anybody says something, right? I mean, that's what it's all about. Did you enjoy staring him down? Yeah, I mean, I stared right at him. <laughs> I mean, there was no denying it, Dad. And this is, this is what you say all the time. I don't think the Phillies played any harder or no. wanted to win this no. game anymore, but... In those little moments right there, you know Bryce Harper's always looking for an edge. This guy yeah. is every movie athlete personified, right? He almost ruins other players for you because we talk all the time. It's not just about what you do in the postseason. It's not just about what you do in clutch moments. But Bryce Harper seems to always have a knack for that. And so giving that guy who lives with a perennial chip on his shoulder another little bit of dip to put on, it does not seem advisable. I mean, yeah, whatever I, fuels you, right? Whatever fuels you. Yeah. But like we said, this was extremely innocuous. He literally yes. was like, ha ha, attaboy, Harper. Like, that's what it I, was. I mean, so listen, for Harper, who's the guy's been, you know, a star and on the cover of everything since his teens, now has 10 career home runs and NLDSs, tops in baseball history. So uh, the, the guy knows how to hit a bomb. But it, it, the storyline here, for those who don't know, in the previous game, Phillies were up 4 nothing. They ended up losing 5-4, to four, and the last out of the game was a was a fly ball, and, and Harper took off from first, and he rounded second, and it was caught, and he got doubled up back at first base. So a, a, a running error by him, a running you know blunder by him, and Arcia said in the locker room after, at a boy, Harper, you know, a couple of times. So first and foremost, do I think that's what helped, you know, Harper hit two home runs? No. Bryce Harper is one of the most intense players there is anyway. I don't think he needs the extra motivation to hit a home run or two. As I just said, he's done it the most times in an NLDS. So I'm sure each time it wasn't, you know, brought on by someone saying something. Uh, but when you do perform after somebody said something, you get the right to stare him down. You get the right to do those kind of things if you want to. And he got to do it not once, but twice. As far as the locker room is concerned, you're right. I mean, the comment at a boy Harper making a blunder like that. I mean, my God, much worse has been said in a, in a, in a locker room without a doubt. And I even heard, you know, their Atlanta, their manager say, you know, I, I thought, I, you know, it's going to make guys not want to talk to the media anymore or, you know, don't push this on the media. All right, please don't do that. If there's media in the room, then they're going to report things that they hear that, that that's just the bottom line. So that's going to happen. If you didn't know any more media was in the room. Okay. So if that's a mistake on your part, whatever, or you feel you can say anything you want in the locker room and that's sacred, that unfortunately is not true. If there are media members in the locker room. 
So yeah, that's, and, 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 uh, yeah that seemed to be an easy, pretty easy like line of thinking to fall unless this person was hiding in a closet yeah, like they're in yeah. a spy movie. If they're in the locker room, yeah. they're going to do their job while they're in the locker room here. That's an awareness crime, not necessarily a crime in this case of being out of pocket all the way with what you said. And, and again, attaboy Harper. I mean, that's not ones where I'm going, boy, those are fighting words. I mean, Harper made a mistake. I mean, he, he made a base running error, okay? I mean... And 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 basically, you know, Arcia said something about it. I, I'm sure there was much worse said probably without yes. the media around about that. Believe me, much worse said. So I, I it added to the storyline. Do I think it had anything to do with his two home runs? No, not one bit. Not a bit. I mean, the bigger storyline is, you know, Atlanta uh being in trouble here. You know, a team where we, we thought was going to walk to the World Series is now on the precipice of getting knocked out. The third 100-win-plus-win win team this year that would get knocked out of the postseason. That, to me, is the storyline. This is fun to talk about, um, and it's Philly, so it's a tough town, and it's Bryce Harper, who's a tough player. So whenever you get any kind of, you know, one-on-ones uh, 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 or as we see stare downs here it's a cool thing all right well, it adds to the honestly hype a bit. it's great for baseball yeah. like they're yeah. so lucky that this leaked out because this has added juice and personality and the sport that we've talked about has done a better job coming out over the last number of years with a lot of these younger players but to get it it's kind of like we always talk about you're not guaranteed to have your best player up at bat in the biggest moment right. of any of these games you're not guaranteed to have drama like this in the postseason when everybody's watching your product and instead that's exactly what baseball got this is a huge win for them it's a huge win for them because the game was a blowout i mean there, there was no drama in this game I mean, as I said, six home runs, he hits two. Castellano hits two. They have two other home runs. I mean, it's, it's a 10-2 blowout. So I, I'm glad we had that, you know, to to kind of hold on to and say, oh, you know, is this going to lead to anything? No, it's not going to lead to anything. You know, it's not going to lead to anybody getting thrown at, you know, in the next game because you don't do that in the postseason, just like playoff hockey or not. You're not getting in those fights and getting, you know, into the penalty box and that kind of thing. So that's that's not going to – it was just a little added flavor that, to me, did nothing to the game as far as Bryce Harper hitting two home runs because that was said. But it added a nice kind of flavor to the game as well as coming into the – you know, coming into the game, both he and Castellano wore – Deion Sanders wore Colorado shirts – Basically, oh, yeah. they, they had yeah. Deion, they had Deion Sanders shirt. So um, Bryce Harper had the actual like Deion Sanders prime shirt there. Nick Castellanos had the Colorado Buffaloes white hoodie on there. Both of them at that point, we should have known we're going to do bad things to baseball. I think the far more effective force in this game, because you're right. Bryce Harper's always walking around looking for an edge. He's always going to live like this for Nick Castellanos, who a drive to deep left center has become a meme with him going yeah. all the way back to the home run. He hit during that Reds game. What you had here was once again, if you're going to try and tell a human interest story in the middle of this baseball game, Nick Castellanos is going to hit a home run during, and that's exactly what happened for his second bomb last night as the Phillies take a two, one lead in this series, which is incredible. So a lot of compelling juice to that one. Bryce Harper now also, by the way, the all time leader in home runs in the uh, divisional series round with 10 in his career really impressive stuff the guy shows up when the lights are brightest he really is again he's like a movie athlete in the way that he conducts himself so we got that series there 
We got the Astros defeating the Twins to move on to the ALCS. And then the Dodgers getting swept by the Diamondbacks. It's just the first time the Dodgers have been swept in the playoffs since 2006. And for the Diamondbacks, man, our guy Eric Burns called it. We had him on the other day, MLB analyst, who had this to say about Corbin Carroll, who has been part of this young star turn for a Diamondbacks team that went out here and walloped baseballs. They have... One of the best young players that I've seen in a long time, and Corbin Carroll. I think the fact that he's five foot nothing uh, makes him even that much more entertaining. There's a thing, guys, that, it, it, that we used to reference all the time. It's called tension free barrel release. And when you watch somebody hit, uh, it, it's it's like they're short to it, and then they get here, and then and then it's just it just goes, and they hit these balls that you think are gonna maybe they might just like sneak over the fence. And it ends up going 450 feet. That's Corbin Carroll. He hits these balls. You're like, oh, I think he hit that pretty well. And then it's 440, 450 feet. You're like, dude, how is this little guy doing it? Uh, How is this little guy and the rest of the team doing it now? Because, uh, Dad, according to ESPN Stats and Info last night, the Diamondbacks are now the third team in postseason history with four players, 23 or younger, to home run in a single postseason. That group including the young star Corbin Carroll. So they went out there, and I forget if it was the third or fourth inning. Third inning. Absolute third inning. Just annihilated baseballs. Even having one ruled foul after a video review on the field by the umpires, only to have the subsequent pitch absolutely striped out of the ballpark. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before. Yeah, poor Lance Lynn. He was on the receiving end of all four of those home runs in the third. So kudos to the Diamondbacks, as I said, the sweep there. But again, for the Dodgers, third year in a row getting ousted by a team that had double-digit more wins in the regular season, which which I said again in the beginning is bringing up people talking about, do you change the format because we, we do have the possibility of the three 100-plus teams all being out of the playoffs uh, going into the champion, not even making the the, the CSs uh, this year, which would be absolutely uh, amazing. Um, we're, we're waiting, as, as obviously, as we talked about the Astros uh, making it for the seventh straight year to the CS, which is so interesting because now we have to wait and see because Max Scherzer threw a – simulated game uh, yesterday, I believe. You had both those pitchers, Verlander and Scherzer, on the Mets, and they both get traded away. Now they both could possibly square off in the ALCS. Verlander with Houston and Scherzer with Texas. We'll have to uh. wait. Scherzer hasn't uh, thrown since, I think, September 12th with an arm issue, but he's positive that he's going to get back and be used somehow, some way. So that would be – Met fans have to be sick, have to be sick at this. I mean, I wonder if this even registers on the pain scale for Mets fans who are so used to the worst possible thing happening at any given time. They might actually be happy that a couple of people got out. And the Mets fans are never happy. No, I was going to say they're not happy. That's an impossibility there. Uh, Shifting the postseason schedule around is interesting, Dad. I saw Jared Caravis, our buddy over at Baseball's Dead, tweeting saying he wants the single game. The one thing he did say that I absolutely agree with, because it's tough, right? Baseball's always going to be difficult to wrap your arms around with the postseason because it's the volume sport. 162 regular season games, you're almost never going to get the best team through the course of 162 to actually win the championship because you can get hot. The math is so large and mathy that you can get these (laughs) streaks of when a team is at its best. And if that timing doesn't work out right, you know, 
unfortunately, your up bleeps creek. You right. get Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts going one for 21 in a playoff series and you getting sent home. But the one thing I do agree with, Jared, I want the single game wild card back. I think that was so much fun. I know it's the complete antithesis of this argument for more games in a volume sport, but there's just something I loved about for our, my younger brother, Jake, who always argues in basketball that overtime should be sudden death. It's the closest we get to that sense of urgency when you've got teams that have gone out for so many games during the season, forced to play for one game for all the marbles in the wild card round. I want that back. If it gives you more games in these subsequent rounds, so be it. But I do miss the single game wild card. I will admit that. Yeah, you get that if you have a tie before the postseason starts to play that one game and it is interesting in a series sport like hockey like basketball baseball is that one game to decide something is it seems exciting but it seems unfair doesn't it because don't don't you say in, in a series sport usually the better team ends up showing that they're the better team and they win well obviously we're not seeing it here and we haven't seen it especially with the dodgers in the last couple of years um, but going to one game, man, I mean, that's, well, I know that's what we get in football all the time. And it could be that game where all of a sudden nothing goes right. Right. Uh, if you could be the better team and nothing goes right next thing, you know, you're out and, and going home. So I, I'm, I kind of, I'm kind of wishy-washy on it. I love, I love the excitement of it. It's just, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the penalty kicks in soccer. I don't love it because I'd like the game to decide it. The game of soccer but penalty kicks are exciting to watch. Right. right? It's objectively yeah. the most interesting yeah. thing that you get yes. to do with that penalty kicks and that shootouts in hockey. It's all such awesome theater. And I do think part of this is still an entertainment product because again, I think we're admitting up front, this sport is a really difficult time finding the truest champion because overall sample size is so huge. It's so tough to kind of get your arms all the way around that. But man, it, it, exciting day of baseball. Dad, maybe only topped by one thing yesterday in the world of sports or sports related items what how about our bud katie nolan oh my gosh i mean going out there katie nolan who we had on as guest and a friend of the show yesterday uh, on celebrity jeopardy last night absolutely walloping the competition finding her way to the semifinals of celebrity jeopardy dead before or i should say in spite of some very very bad math going into final oh. jeopardy I was sick. Katie stormed out to an unbelievable lead. They do triple jeopardy and celebrity jeopardy. And dad, at the ending here, you've got final jeopardy. We get to wager an amount on that final clue. And Katie wagered the wrong amount. She did the math wrong necessary to win. She was up a substantial dollar amount. And so we got this situation here playing out in front of us. Now, Katie Nolan had that big lead. Did she have remember the Alamo? I did. She did. Now, math not your favorite part of I the game. I made a mistake. You just had to wager more than uh, 3,500. Right. And you're a champion. And I wagered 3,500. You wagered exactly 3,500. I'm a moron! Oh, my God! Christopher and Katie wow. are exactly tied. <laughs> and we're going to be going to a tiebreaker clue. French history. And here's the clue. Drink up. A famous New Orleans street is named after this dynasty that ruled France for most of the 17th and 18th centuries. Katie. What is bourbon? It is yeah! bourbon! Yeah! What a wow. moment for the kids. So again, 
it was Christopher Maloney, Sherry yeah. Shepard, and Katie that were on the episode together. It got down to that point. Katie wagered the wrong dollar amount as it was really her and Christopher Maloney. Sherry yeah, Shepard yeah. had a rough Sherry night. Sherry Shepard had, yeah, she had on a that show. Rough night. She was she funny, was, but she had a rough night. She was thoroughly outclassed by the other two. Maloney makes a big run back during yep. triple the triple Jeopardy round. And then they go to sudden death Jeopardy. And Bourbon Street, of all places, saves Katie Nolan and allows her to move. She was by far the best of that bunch. They're oh. clearly a student of the game and glad it worked out for she, her. It's interesting. She goes to the semis. It's going to be real because she's really, really good. Yes. I mean, and when she was on, told us how much she studied and everything. I will say there were four sports questions. And she didn't get one of them. She was beat to the buzzer by the other two on every single, on all four of them. But her personality was fantastic on the show. She deserved to win, even though she almost blew it at the end. <laughs> yeah, she got out to her lead at the beginning. Triple yeah. Jeopardy was the one that got Chris back in it. So I'm going to prorate for our girl, Katie. Congratulations to Celebrity Jeopardy finalist, Katie Nolan. Coming up next, let's talk about teams on the ropes in the NFL. One and four heading into the weekend next. All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Bill, you said you guys need to start over. Have you ever had to do that before? Yeah, I've done it. What does that entail, starting over? Starting over. I've never seen it this bleak. It's hard, right? We don't want to score zero points. That's not the goal. Today, Mac Jones looked untalented. Bill Belichick has failed this offense for more than a decade. You can't really fire Bill Belichick because of how much he's done for the Patriots. He's done a lot, but eventually that leash has to run out. No more leash. It's not working anymore, Bill. How concerned are you that your message isn't getting through to the players? We'll keep working on it. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Man, Bill Belichick has never gotten criticism like this before. Guys, Patriots are one in four. Mac Jones has been struggle struggling, repeatedly being benched in favor of Bailey Zappi. And yet, so we saw Bill saying we need to start over. When asked if Mac Jones is the starter, Belichick said, yeah, we're not making any changes. So guys, like I said, I, he, we, we literally saw the video. He said on Sunday, we need to start over. Now they asked him, what does starting over entail? And he said, starting over. So he didn't really tell us what that meant. No. So I guess he can decide whatever he wants. Yet he's sticking with Mac, which has a lot of people scratching their heads here. We started this conversation yesterday about like one in four teams. 
you know, we talked about the Vikings a little bit. Do any of these teams have a chance of turning things around? For the Patriots, it seems like they'll have to actually make some changes to turn things around. Yeah, it's interesting. Starting over, I guess, doesn't mean changing things. You're actually just going back and starting over with Mac Jones still as your quarterback again for that team. But, Dad, you look out into the group of one and four teams in the NFL that the Patriots are involved in. We'll put the Broncos off to the side. We're going to get to them when we look ahead at Thursday night football coming up tonight with their division game against the Chiefs. But you've got the Patriots, who this week are at the uh, Las Vegas Raiders, the Giants at one and four at the Buffalo Bills on Sunday night football, the Bears home versus the Minnesota Vikings in the division and the Cardinals at the Los Angeles Rams, another division game in this week. Uh, and the Vikings, as we mentioned, going up against the Bears there. Dad, looking at this group, there's not a lot. It is pretty bleak for everyone that we just mentioned there for a variety of reasons. Is there any team in that bunch that you actually think, besides the Bears or the Vikings, where one of them is going to have to win that game that actually has a chance to turn things around here? Turn things around? No. I'm, I mean, I know we talk about in the beginning of the season based on preseason and not and the practices are different that you're a different team come middle of the season as you are in the beginning of the season. But I don't see any of these teams going on this run all of a sudden, a second half run. The, the biggest thing to me on the teams we're talking about is where are you with your quarterback? Um, because turning this season around, I think, is going to be difficult. So What's the answer going forward? And for the Patriots, you know, we sit there and talk about changes or starting over. What the hell are you going to do? I mean, this is your roster. You think you're pulling someone off the street that's going to change your fortunes? It's not. So the starting over part, I, I don't really understand. The changes part, the only thing you can do is, is, is put some backups in and bench some guys and they're backups for a reason. They're supposedly not as good as the other guys, but maybe someone steps up and does something. But it's not going to turn a season around. So to me, the way I look at with these one-win teams is, where are you with your quarterback? So how are you building? So the Patriots don't have their quarterback on their roster. Of where they're going to get to, it's going to be someone different. It's not going to be Mac Jones. It's not going to be Bailey Zappi. All right? Giants have their quarterback, Daniel Jones. They paid him. He's going to be the guy. They're not changing that. Uh, the Vikings know they're going to have a different quarterback, right? They're, you're sitting there, we're talking about trading Kirk Cousins, which I don't know if that's going to happen. But regardless, I doubt he's going to be there next year. So they're going to have a new quarterback. Cardinals are probably going to have a new quarterback, even though they played Ky paid Kyler Murray, Murray all that money. It doesn't look like that's going to be the marriage going forward. We haven't even seen him on the field yet. Don't know when we'll see him on the field. And for the Bears, I think the jury is still out. They had that big game right against the Commanders. Does that carry over uh, now playing the Vikings? I, I think I do think the jury is still out on him. I think you're set with the Giants. Jury's out on, on, on fields. You're going to get a new quarterback in Arizona and Minnesota and the Patriots. So that's kind of what I look at. And it's, it's tough to say, and even as a former player, with so many games left to say your season is done. But I've been in that position a couple of times when the season is over early, mostly when I was in Houston. And, and it is difficult. But then you now in the position I'm at, you look at, okay, wh where do you build? Well, the first place you start everything is a quarterback. So for those teams that are going to need a quarterback, you get that quarterback and you start to build around that quarterback while he's on his quarterback contract. So I think looking at, at, at everyone's situation, honestly, the team that 
I think should be most hopeful about what comes next is probably the Minnesota Vikings because you've got Justin Jefferson, who's a top yeah. three player, regardless of position in the NFL, probably at this current juncture. So you've got that to build and hang your head around because for the Patriots, the problems are more existential. You're not really sure what you are on offense right now. You haven't leaned into one specific identity. You thought you were going to get back to competent quarterback play here, but you don't really have the dogs to run. So that's kind of a much more loaded bag here. Honestly, is it weird that the team I actually feel most hopeful for already because of what we've seen is the Arizona Cardinals? Yeah. Like in a set of circumstances where they are not supposed to succeed, they've gone out here and found a way to lay the ground strong for Jonathan Gannon. And dad, it should give you more reason as a franchise to allow him and allow this new uh, regime to make the decision about Kyler Murray that they want to make. If they think they need to move on, kind of like you did for Cliff Kingsbury with Kyler Murray right. when it was Josh Rosen there and gave him the opportunity to go and set the clock on his own terms with his own quarterback, Jonathan Gannon and company are proving they're probably worth that same investment because of what they've already meant in setting the foundation for a winning culture going forward. I talked about this with Dominique Foxworth the other day. It's very difficult, this notion of openly tanking, trying to subvert your team season, because often it makes it difficult for the coach's message to get to the locker room when you're trying to preach accountability, toughness, all being all in on this. And clearly the message being sent by the organization elsewhere runs counter to that. Even with the Cardinals here, one thing's for sure, if you're a player on that team right now, you can trust what the coach is selling you because you've been a tough out in all these games. It gives me yeah. really early Dan Campbell vibes from his time at the Lions where, man, they weren't winning a ton of games, but you saw the fight. You saw those things. Houston's kind of the same right now. Yeah, I, I'm with you on Arizona. They they have been – it's been surprising. Four-point loss, three-point loss. They got beat pretty good by the 49ers, but who doesn't? And the Bengals yeah. just beat them by a couple of touchdowns. And they had the win – over the Cowboys. So I agree with you. So what happens at the quarterback position? That That's going to be the interesting part there. But if the players are buying what he's selling, let's see how the rest of the season goes. I, I'm with you there. The intriguing one to me is going to be Chicago because they hold one and two picks in the draft, right? And so you have that, you have that currency. You have a quarterback, which I think right now people are leaning on you're going to move away from. But I think he still has time to show his wares and say he's still worth keeping. But they did it last year. We thought trade him away and get, you know, Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, get one of those guys. They didn't do it and stuck with him. And it hasn't worked out, certainly from a record standpoint. And at times he's looked really good, but at times he hasn't. And we talk about the maybe the, the Luke Getze and he aren't, aren't, aren't connected well from O.C. to quarterback. So that to me is the most intriguing one going forward with the currency they have with draft picks. Yeah, that always is a good out for you there. And listen, the questions you might still have around quarterback, right? You at the very least have some answers at receiver because so much of the last game and a half success on offense has been tied back to DJ Moore, who you brought over in that trade right. for the number one overall pick. He's looked sensational. He was the guy in the last game where credit to Justin Fields for making the throws, but it was DJ Moore bullying a 155-pound rookie cornerback and creating space and creating yards after the catch that ultimately got it for you there. So again, we like we talked about with Justin Jefferson, you've got a weapon to also help with if it's Justin Fields and you're able to continue to developing this thing or whoever you bring in next there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And listen, they were getting some good running from Khalil Herbert. Now he's nicked up. He was averaging over five yards a carry. So I did like some of the things they did in the offseason. Cole Komet has been 
having himself a year with three touchdowns or, or already. So I kind of liked where they were building. I think the lines, you know, need some some help as well. That that's why I do think that's the intriguing one to me because they started getting some weapons there. Do you change the trigger man or do you? And I guess that's what the rest of the season is going to be. Let's see how they develop together. Let's see, you know, because all of a sudden it was Matt Eberflus. Uh-oh, there's issues there. What happens? The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. It's Thursday, and you know what that means. Kick off your NFL weekend with Thursday Night Football on Prime. It is on, everybody. So we got the Broncos visiting the Chiefs, Kansas City, looking to continue their winning ways. They've gotten the W in 15 straight against Denver, but they've been close the past couple few guys. For the last five games in the series have been decided by six points or fewer and for all the Swifties, <coughs> Gojo, hoping for another huh. Taylor Swift-dominated hey. broadcast, don't hold your breath. Travis Kelsey is questionable with an ankle injury, so don't expect to be seeing her in the stands. But even with, you know, Kelsey's status up in the air here, Chiefs are big-time favorites. So what do the Broncos need to focus on to give themselves a fighting chance here? Andrew Whitworth broke it down for the guys yesterday. It's not real good. Look good for the Broncos. But, I, I, you know, I think it's one of those things with them right now. You know, let's be honest. It's less about trying to win a game, and it's more about showing really who they are as a football team. How do they get better? Because right now, I think that the, the simplest way for them to go into this game is we've got to show a physical presence and attitude on defense that separates what we've done the first five weeks. We've got on the offensive side of the football. we got to take care of the football we got to play physical on that side. We got to convert in these situations in the red zone, play up to our standards, and let the game take care of itself. Yeah, so guys, Kelsey's ankle, like he seems to be moving around pretty well on it at practice, but he is listed as questionable. And dad, in an ideal world, if you're the Chiefs, while every player is going to try and work hard out there to play, 
if there was a short week, if there ever was, yeah. to rest your star tight end, knowing the majority of the season's far more important, even with this being a division game, it is against the Denver Broncos defense that is dead last against the run in the NFL, got 177 yards hung on him by Brees Hall last week. This feels like the opportune time to sit him down and say, hey, go check out Taylor Swift's new movie premiere from the Eras Tour. Kick your feet up in the theater there, get some popcorn and enjoy the time off. I would agree. From a player standpoint, I'm sure what he is saying is let me play in this game. Then I have 10 days before the next game. You know, I have time to heal up more. But from Andy Reid's side of it, that would seem to be the move to make is to sit him in this one, give him all that extra time uh, as well. And that's probably why we're not going to see Taylor Swift, too. You just mentioned it. She's out at her premieres, right? Finding another revenue stream and her her now on the big screen with her tour, just finding another way to make another. Boy, some hot takes, million. by the way, about the songs that hit the cutting room floor that didn't make it into the movie. Swifties were mad online. Oh, yeah, I know. I was one of them, man. I was all over Twitter yesterday, or X, or whatever you call it, talking about that. I don't know what the hell you're talking about, quite honestly. But okay, some people can't were mad. Long live didn't make it in it. there. Are you serious? I mean, how oh, is God. that even possible? How do they cut the Archer? That's my Long question. Live. I mean, the Archer. Alert. I mean, that's what I was kind of cheering. Archer, Archer. And senior, not, not, senior. No Archer. Didn't you? Yeah entire family go to the Taylor Swift concert and you babysat Jackson? So myself and my uh, son-in-law, Ben, Sydney's husband, Ben, uh, stayed back in Arizona while everybody else in the family went to Vegas uh, to watch Taylor Swift. And they all had a great time. And Ben and I uh, said, uh, no, thanks. We, uh, we, I like her. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I think she's incredibly talented, like her, but I, I probably not enough to go sit through three and a half hours uh, of it. And somebody had to watch young Jackson yeah. and it was a chance for granddad to watch him. And Ben, the about to be a father for the first time, get a little practice. in. so we did our thing there. We'll go catch the movie. We'll go eat our popcorn in the movie theater and get, get the same thing. Perfect. So you can get the whole experience out of yeah. that as can Travis Kelsey and dad, that'd be great news for the Broncos if the most poorest part of their defense weren't up front, usually with the Chiefs offense, the formula in the Mahomes-Kelsey era has always been, hey, if you can get your hands on Travis Kelsey near the line of scrimmage, disrupt the timing there with Patrick Mahomes sure as target, then you have a chance to knock the offense off kilter a little bit. We saw the only loss for the Chiefs so far this season was the game that Travis Kelsey missed at home to start the year against the Detroit Lions. A much more potent offense on the other side, a much better defense on the other side than anything the Broncos are going to provide. But the offense certainly looks different without Travis Kelsey, even in a year where they've spread the love, Dad. We know he's got to be the foundation for this. So does that worry you at all, at least in terms of the spread? According to DK Sportsbook, the Chiefs 11-point favorites right now. Do you think any of this can hang close? The Chiefs haven't really been a good team against the spread for the last couple of years. No, they haven't. I could see some issues because, listen, Denver's offense hasn't been awful, right? No. I mean, uh, Russell Wilson, I think 11 touchdowns, just two interceptions, completing about 67% of his passes. He's been sacked 15 times, but it's the, you know, the defensive side of the ball uh, that's been pretty bad uh, for Denver at this point. So, you know, they're they're last in the league. They're giving up the most yards against an unbelievably potent offense, who, by the way, as Patrick Mahomes says, doesn't think they have even hit their potential on offense yet. But you're right. This offense does build around Travis Kelsey. We said that in the first game when we were there for the opener when they lost to Detroit and Travis missed that game is who else was going to step up? Well, you got, you know, almost a handful of games under your belt for others uh, to get acquainted with Patrick Mahomes and get that offense going. This is one you shouldn't worry, but it is the NFL, and we did see Arizona knock off Dallas right. when we, nobody expected that. So can it happen? Yes. 
Do I expect it to happen? No, but the spread's a whole nother thing. You're right. The Chiefs have not been too good against the spread, and this might be another night of it if Travis isn't playing. I still can, in good conscience, endorse betting the Broncos in any way, shape, or form. I agree. Certainly I agree. not with the points here. And you're right, Dad. The only argument for this is it's the NFL. Weird stuff happens all the time. We talked about that with the Titans-Colts game this last week, given the background for both of those teams coming into the game. Because if you look for the Chiefs, Week one, not having Travis Kelsey. Different story than now. The Chiefs had 10 different players catch a cast against the Vikings last week, which is kind of the way they've operated. Noah Gray has been a good performer for them as the other tight end in that room for a while here. So I do think the Chiefs now, a little bit into the season, a little bit more set in the identity, are much more equipped to handle if Travis Kelsey is not out there or if he's out there and he's not 100% going into this game. But, Dad, the far more important factor in this is The Chiefs have one of the best interior offensive lines in the NFL. You're going direct strength on direct weakness in this game when you look inside at Joe Tooney and Creed Humphrey and the guys that they've got in there. That's a murderer's row. We swapped out the tackles this offseason, but inside where they want to control the ground game here with Isaiah Pacheco and company, that is absolutely some of the Chiefs' best on some of the Broncos' absolute worst. Well, and and that's where they can really make hay in this game. As I mentioned, the Broncos are worst overall in defense and worst against the run they're giving up 187 yards on the ground so you know even even if if you don't have Travis Kelsey this is where you can control the game with Pacheco uh he he actually and and Mahomes is actually third in carries Clyde Edwards Hilaire is second in carries but it's really Pacheco that's getting the job done and they can control this game on the ground this has been a real real weak spot uh, for the Denver part of the defense. The Denver defense overall has been a weak part, but they can be attacked, I agree with you, right at the gut here. Uh, and, and I think that's where Kansas City can control this game. I, I want to go back to something you said before, though, and it's so true. We got to stop blaming Russell Wilson for what's going on with yeah, this team right yeah, now. Yeah. This isn't Russ's fault. I understand nope. that he's become sort of a cartoon character for a lot of people in the last couple of years in the NFL with the Broncos country, let's ride stuff here. But you look at... This Broncos offense, Dad, they've done one of the core tenets. Like, I remember we had when Brian Kelly was at Notre Dame, we had the four quarters of winning, and it was all these different tenets and things that you had as, hey, if we do this, we're going to be playing winning football. And the first one for pretty much every football team is start fast. And for the Broncos, they've scored 27 points total on their five opening possessions this season. The only team that's done better than that is the San Francisco 49ers. They've come out hot. Russell Wilson has played better football. You give credit to Sean Payton, who's crafted the offense that's much more conducive to Russ's success with a lot more of the play action stuff, getting him on the move. The problem is you've got it not just bad for this year, but historically bad defense. And so I feel like most of us have gotten there, but I do feel like this needs to officially be the end of, hey, we're just going to make Russell Wilson stand up and answer for the sins of this entire bad team. Yeah, they have to keep up the scoring because of their defense, which can be difficult to do. They're they're not a high-flying offense, but that side of the ball is not the issue. They don't have a big-time number one receiver. Their leader is Sutton with 21 receptions. They have like five of them with over with double digits. But yeah, they, they have to go match score for score when you sit there and say you're playing the Kansas City Chiefs. That seems like a pretty daunting task. It is so daunting that I would probably, if I was going to bet this game, the over on 47 seems like the place to go on the number for the game. But if you're going to make me pick a side, yeah, I'll take the Chiefs and I'll give the points. Sorry, Broncos country. Keep hiding. <laughs> uh, coming up next, though, speaking of points, let's head to college and take a look at a matchup this season that might have the scoreboard operator fully pass out next here on Gojo and Golik.
Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. We got a huge matchup between Washington and Oregon this weekend, and there's some added luster with the matchup between Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix, two star quarterbacks, two Heisman favorites. Guys, Michael Penix Jr. has been rolling 1,999 yards, 16 touchdowns, two interceptions in five starts. But this is a rivalry game, okay? There's a lot of pressure, so how do you handle it? Let's hear from the Washington head coach. I just know, know Mike well enough to know, just make it about us and focus on us. And um, that's a, a ton of respect that we have for, uh, you know, Bo Nix and what he does. He's a great, great uh, athlete quarterback, does it all for their team as well. So, but uh, for us, it's for Mike, it's about just doing his thing uh, because we know the level he can operate at. It's, uh, it's elite. And um, if he just is himself and stays within uh, his, his means and, um, trust his teammates, um, you know, big things are always going to happen just like they have each and every Saturday for him. Like, did Michael Penix Jr. have any idea what was coming his way when he transferred from Indiana? I mean, he was recovering from injury. The program was kind of a shell of itself, and look at him now. I mean, the one thing he did have an idea about was the man you just heard from there because Kalen DeBoer was at Indiana, was the offensive coordinator in that 2019 season that was among Penix's best and amongst Indiana's best. And so coming over and joining up with him, a no-brainer for the quarterback in the marriage, has sung, Dad, heading into this weekend, you got any idea who the odds-on favorite on DraftKings Sportsbook is to win the Heisman Trophy? Uh, I would say, well, we know it's Penix or Caleb Williams, right? So it I is Michael I, Penix Jr. I, I would go there, you know, and that's going to change weekly. And let's hope it stays Michael Penix Jr. Because Notre Dame does a good job defending Caleb Williams this Saturday night. We will see. Uh, but but look, we talked about at the beginning of the season. He's got both his thousand yard receivers back. This offense, one of the most potent, if not the most potent in all the land, rivaling Oregon's offense. I mean, think about what these quarterbacks and I, and I'll tell you that the best number. And as an old lineman, I'm sure you would appreciate it. Penix is 16 touchdowns, two interceptions. Nick's 15 touchdowns, one interception. Both quarterbacks have only been sacked three times each. Yeah, just three times. So they are they are at home in the pocket. The jerseys are staying clean. They're getting time to look downfield because both of them are, you know, the average downfield for Penix is over 11 yards, for Nick's over nine yards. So they get the ball downfield. We know what they do that in college. So that's been the, one of the more impressive things to me. And I know you're calling this game. And this, by the way, the schedule you've had this year calling games has been nothing but incredible as something I was doing a couple of years ago with Kate Scott. We didn't get anywhere the uh, schedule you got. So, I mean, I feel like we got screwed with the schedule you're getting. I mean, you're getting some awesome games to call. I'm looking forward to watching this one before I head over to Notre Dame and USC here in, in, in South Bend. But I, this is going to be, it should be a shootout, right? Let's hope we don't expect one thing and get another. Yeah, I, I think you can comfortably say defense is going to be uh, yeah. optional on the back end in a lot of ways here. I saw Pete Thamel was on SportsCenter the other day and said there's going to be 34 NFL scouts at oh. this game, largely for the quarterbacks involved. You've got great beef up front with the offensive lines. You've got solid running backs. Bucky Irvin's one of my favorite backs in the Pac-12 over in Oregon. 
But, Dad, it, it is so fascinating to look at the styles that make fights in this game. Michael Penix Jr. being listed as the Heisman frontrunner and the Heisman favorite, at least on the betting side of it, going into this game. Because I feel like Washington doesn't necessarily get the buzz nationally nope. Nope. that would go along with this team. There's a lot of folks inside college football that have looked and said, as this year we had Georgia that looked kind of down. We weren't sure who looked like the number one team until last week when they did that against Kentucky. Yeah. Some people were saying, hey, Washington's been chewing people up and spitting them out so far this season. They could be the number one team. I'm encouraged that we already have these quarterbacks talked about like this because whoever wins this game is going to see a massive bump in their popularity and the way that they're discussed because outside of Texas and Alabama and then Red River last week, you could throw Notre Dame, Ohio State in there as well. This is here in that caliber right. of game. In the history of this rivalry, Dad, these two teams have never met before this weekend as AP top 10 ranked teams. So this is uncharted territory for two teams in the second year under their current head coach who have gotten into a really, really rarefied era already. Do we see what the over-under on this? I know last year it, there were 71 points. Washington won 37-34 in Eugene. The, the, 67, 67 and a half, and a half. is the over which I'm going to take. And I, I think, you know, when, when we were looking at the rankings of undefeated teams, Washington was holding, actually holding that number one spot. Uh, Georgia, the game, again, you, you covered, they, they looked like, you know, the number one team again did Georgia. So I get that. But to me, it's Georgia, Michigan. Now, again, Michigan hasn't really played anybody. They're going to get their tests with Penn State and Ohio State. It's those two in Washington to me that are the top three teams. I, I agree. I think Washington has not been get, given uh, the love maybe they deserve, and this is a way for them to prove it, and some of that might be the Pac-12 and their reputation, though they uh, have had plenty of teams in the top 25, and this is when we start to see them knock one another off, which is exactly what's going to happen here with one of these teams losing. But I, I probably, I know you won't pick the game, I, I and I know we will on, on t tomorrow, but I, I know I'm kind of leaning the Washington way. I picked them to be in my final four, uh, so this would go a long way to toward doing that. Yeah, I think right now, if you were to ask me to really situate a top four in college football, I'd probably go Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, and Oklahoma at this point, just because Washington does not have that marquee win on their schedule. That's what we, this week is going to go a long way in how we organize it, because Part of this has been, hey, we know for the Big Ten, yeah, the meat of the schedule hits in November. That's when the three good teams play each other. We'll find out about them then. For the Pac-12, it's here and now. And, Dad, even inside the Pac-12, we came into this year with a quartet. It was Washington, Oregon, USC, and Utah that we all felt like, oh, man, this could be a juggernaut. And so far now, you had no Cam rising at the helm for Utah quarterback, and so they took a loss already. It seems like we're kind of downgrading expectations for them a bit since it sounds like Cam Rising's knee was in a little bit worse place than we anticipated or heard about going into the season. And then for USC, we'll see what happens in South yeah. Bend Saturday night, but that defense has not looked like it is no. capable, even with Caleb Williams, who I still think quietly is the best quarterback in college football, still has not been able to overcome that defense in a way that seems sustainable once you hit the good teams on your schedule. And so there you find your way back to a matchup that feels like it's kind of going to decide the fate of the Pac-12 this year between Washington and Oregon. They'll have more tough games. It doesn't get easier from here. But whoever comes out of this one with the win is going to go a long way in deciding, I think, not only just the outcome for the immediacy here, but the Pac-12 and then really what this looks like is the closing stanza for the conference. They haven't had a college football playoff team since Washington many moons ago. 
And to end on that note here, even though the conference is going to be disbanded, would be at least a testament to, hey, there's been good football played on the West Coast, and we're seeing it finally rewarded this season. Well, they have. I mean, after this game uh, with Oregon, a ranked, obviously, Oregon team, they have Arizona State and Stanford, two non-ranked teams. Then they finished four straight ranked, USC, Utah, Oregon State, Washington State. So the Pac-12, they they get tested out there. there. There is absolutely no doubt about it. And... I, I, yeah, I would go different on my top four. I would not have Florida State in there. They've been a little iffy and spotty to me at times. I would have Washington in that right now. But that's a thing. It's all going to play out. That's the beauty of this. We're going to see it all play out on the field. Right. And so you can talk about the quality of the teams. I focus more on the quality of the wins. Florida State's got a couple of good ones in Clemson and LSU to start the year out of conference. But you're right. It all is going to play out on the field now. And this weekend, man, if you haven't watched these two teams, I was trying to think, Daddy, you get ready for the opening to try and think about the sell for these games and how you talk about both quarterbacks in this one. And I think what I've settled on is you've got two quarterbacks who are transfer players playing at the absolute best ability of their career right now. I would trust Michael Penix most when things are going right in the flow of an offense that has a bunch of NFL stuff. Washington is playing positionless football in a way we talked about for a team like the Atlanta Falcons or what the Miami Dolphins are doing right now. You've got running backs who can catch. You've got receivers that have lined up in the backfield. Four different wideouts have a rushing touchdown on the season. They give you a little bit of everything all of the time. But Michael Penix, when things are going well, I trust the most. When things are going wrong, that's when I trust Bo Nix the most because that man has been so used to making magic for a long time. And under Dan Lanning, he's found a way to do that on the positive side a lot more often than we saw on the Auburn version on the negative side. The one thing I'll say is Oregon's defense. I mean, five, three of the five games, single digits, and one of them just 10 points. Uh, Texas Tech put 30 on him, but the defense has, has been playing somewhat interestingly decent for teams that can give up a lot of points. Yeah, Dan Lanning, the former Georgia and Alabama disciple, no stranger to great defense. 